0: We might have uh, have noticed that uh, we're taking a bit of a break uh, this morning from uh, our series going through Matthew. I thought uh, after last week uh, having Steve here, we had a bit of a natural break, and I was uh, at the Reform Church uh, speaking uh, on this same passage. So I thought uh, it might be helpful to speak uh, on the same thing here. Uh, it's hard to believe. Uh, I've been thinking about this over uh, the last few months, but it's hard to believe that it was 17 years ago uh, in grade 10 uh, that I made the rather momentous decision, uh, it it turns out now, uh, not to marry. Uh, I can remember standing on the oval uh, at school. I just had a discussion with a teacher whose uh, brother-in-law was a naval submariner. Uh, My dream uh, at that time was to be a naval submariner, to become an officer and eventually, hopefully, Uh, to to Captain uh, Submarines Uh, and I discovered that uh, submariners are away from home a lot of the time, uh, as many as nine months of the year Uh, and I realised that uh, that kind of occupation was not conducive uh, to having a a stable marriage or a stable family. Uh, And so I remember thinking very seriously uh, about the implications and the ramifications of that uh, and deciding... Uh, at that time that uh, it would be best, at least I finished that career, to stay uh, unmarried. Uh, I'm not sure that at the time I knew much about 1 Corinthians 7 and uh, clearly over time I never ended up joining the Navy Uh, but my commitment, I guess, to uh, singleness remained uh, although I suspect, uh, well, not suspect, but I know that my reasons changed. Uh, And in those years since... Uh, This passage, 1 Corinthians 7, has become, I guess, something of a manifesto, something of the theme tune uh, of my life Uh, and singleness has become a great passion. It would be foolish and dangerous to think uh, or to suggest that singleness and staying unmarried is for everyone. Uh, But I would like to think that it's for more than no one. I'd like to think that more than uh, zero people would actually uh, choose to remain single, that it wouldn't just be a condition to be endured, but actually something in some circumstances to be embraced uh, and enjoyed. Uh, For the years since grade 10, I've been passionately trying to convince people of that and my record is pretty poor. Uh, There was one person... Uh, One friend I managed to convince, I think it took me four years to convince him. Uh, The chronology was something like, uh, he finally accepted it, he told his parents, they were shattered, three months later he was engaged, uh, and six months later he was married. Uh, And so it has gone with many others as well. Strangely enough, that's to be expected. Actually, Jesus says to his disciples, it's a hard saying and few can accept it. But I guess my hope is that, as I said, more than none would embrace it. Uh, I guess my hope is that there might be some single people here who would think that that's a great thing to embrace. And I hope too that it would be a thing that even those of us who are married uh, would understand Uh, And I hope as well, I think, that that all of us would catch a a glimpse of the vision uh, of the Gospel-shaped life which singleness uh, is intended to portray. Now, you might have noticed that the title of the sermon is To Marry or Not to Marry, that is the question. Uh, I stole that from uh, from William Shakespeare, kind of. Uh, But maybe I should have titled it To Marry or Not to Marry, Is That Really the Question?, Because it seems to me that the question that the Corinthians asked Paul is an unusual question. How many people have come up to you and said, "Uh, I'm thinking, uh, I'm wrestling with the question, should I marry or shouldn't I marry? People might come up to you and say, should I marry this person? Now, that's a question. Uh, But how many people wrestle with that question, should I marry or stay single? Uh, For people who've been widowed or... uh, It is often a very pressing question. Should I remarry? But among those uh, who are not married and who have never married, uh, it doesn't seem to be much a question uh, at all. If people do think about singleness, it's often in terms of a condition to be endured rather than something to be chosen or embraced or enjoyed. But that is exactly the question that the Corinthians asked Paul. They wondered, should we marry? In fact... (laughs) At the end of the passage, it seems like there's a couple who are engaged to be married and they're wondering whether they should go through with it. We'll get to that later. So there's the question, to marry or not to marry. But even more staggering, I think, than the question is the answer that Paul gives. Uh, Throughout this chapter, Paul expresses the sentiment that it's good for people to remain unmarried. In verse 7 he says... I wish that all men were as I am, that is, unmarried. Verse 8, now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Verse 27, are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Verse 38, he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. Verse 39, if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, She is happier if she stays as she is. That Paul could even say that, that it's good not to marry, is pretty shocking, isn't it? After all, God created men and women and he created marriage. And marriage, the Bible rightly says, is a good gift from God. It's a gift to be received with joy. So how can it be good then not to marry? Well, Paul's answer to that question comes for the most part, in verses 25 to 35. Paul says, Now about virgins I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgement as one uh, who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. That is, it's good for them to remain uh, virgins, to remain celibate. He goes on to say, literally, uh, it's different... um, I think Will read from the new NIV, the 2011 edition, which is different and probably better representative of the original language. So, the question is, are you bound? It's not, are you married? But are you engaged to be married? Then don't seek to be bound. Are you not engaged to be married? Then don't seek a wife. Paul's reason that it might be good not to marry, he gives in verse 26, because of the present crisis. Now it's hard to know exactly what the present crisis actually is. Uh, Some people suggest that it might be persecution, uh, that the Corinthian church at that time might have been suffering particularly from persecution and so it would be difficult uh, to be married in that circumstance so they had best wait. Uh, Some people suggest that the, the Corinthians were struggling under the effects of a serious famine and so it would be difficult to raise a family. Uh, in that situation so it would be better to remain single. But it makes a lot more sense to understand that what Paul uh, is saying, he then reflects further on in the rest of the passage. So in verse 28, uh, Paul reflects uh, on the, the present crisis when he says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want to spare you this. So Paul isn't talking then about a temporary problem. He's not talking about a temporary famine or a temporary rise in persecution but he's talking about troubles in this life across the broad spectrum of life from which he wants to spare people. So what are those troubles? Well, the Greeks uh, and the Romans in Paul's day had a pretty low view of marriage. Uh, One person regarded marriage as a great struggle. Another said it was full of care uh, others burdensome and grievous. One uh, rabbi quipped, a young man is like a colt that whinnies, he paces up and down, he grooms himself with care, this is because he's looking for a wife. But once married he resembles an ass, quite loaded down with burdens. Is that the, you know, is that the picture of marriage that Paul has? Is that what Paul wants to spare us from? Is, uh, is marriage just an, uh, an immense and unpleasurable, unpleasurable burden? Is that the crisis? Well, thankfully, Paul actually goes on to explain. Uh, he doesn't just leave us wondering. He explains what the crisis is and what the troubles are. Look at verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on those who have wives should live as though they had none. Those who mourn as though they did not. Those who are happy as though they were not. Those who buy something as though it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed by them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So Paul is saying that this world is passing away and that we need to live in the light of that and that that has implications uh, for all of us. So, if we mourn, we should mourn in the light of the fact that our mourning won't go with us into eternity. Uh, If we rejoice, if we're happy about the things of this world, we should be happy, we should be thankful in the light of the fact that so many of the things that we enjoy now won't go with us into eternity it's not wrong to enjoy a, a good holiday. That's not what Paul is saying. He's just saying enjoy it but enjoy in light of the fact that it's not going to go with you. It's not going to last forever. The things that we do need to be moderated by, by eternity. Uh, living in the light of the eternity also means that we should treat the things that we buy as though they weren't ours to keep. You know, we, They don't go with us. They don't cross over with us. We can't take them past the grave. These verses highlight, I think, one of the great riddles of the Christian life. That is that God has given us so many wonderful gifts to enjoy in this life and that when we receive them with thankfulness we glorify God. And yet, they will not go with us into eternity. David Green Uh, is an American billionaire whose estimated worth is $4.3 billion. Uh, He runs a large company in America with 520 stores and employs around 22,000 employees. And David Green runs his business in the light of eternity. Uh, He's committed to raising the minimum wage of his workers In, in a country, in America, where the minimum wage is pretty low. His stores lose revenue on Sundays because they're closed to allow his employees to go to church. He gives away millions uh, every year. His great goal is to get a Bible into the hands of every person on the planet. Green has said, he said in a recent interview with Forbes magazine, for me I want to know that I've affected people for eternity. I believe I am. I believe once someone knows Christ as their personal saviour, I've affected eternity. I matter ten billion years from now. I matter. Someone that does all this, that builds this great company, something someone that does all this doesn't matter. I'm sorry, it's gone. David Green lives for Christ in the light of eternity. It doesn't mean he packs up his company and, 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 and moves on. It means that everything he does is shaped around the fact that it's not going to last forever. Eternity is the only thing that will last. So what does that mean in terms of marriage? Well, Paul says for married people living in the light of eternity means uh, living as though you weren't married. Uh, In other words, living in light of the fact that your marriage won't go on into eternity. Jesus says that at the resurrection... Uh, no one will be married or given in marriage, that marriage finds its fulfilment at the resurrection in the relationship between Jesus and the Church. The Church is the bride of Christ and the love evident in marriage finds its fulfilment in Jesus' love for the Church and the Church's love for Jesus. Paul says, therefore, live out your marriage now in the light of the fact that it will be subsumed in that relationship between Christ and the Church. Doing that actually takes uh, immense wisdom. Uh, George Witchfield, the, uh, the great English evangelist of the 18th century, tried to live a married life as though he was not married. That's a pretty funny, actually it's a pretty disturbing story to be honest. Uh, what happened, there was uh, another evangelist by the name of Hal Harris and Hal Harris had fallen in love with this woman and she'd fallen in love with him And uh, but Hal Harris was kind of kind of committed to uh, remaining single for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and so the, this relationship with this woman was kind of on again, off again, on again, off again, and she was kind of left horribly confused. And in the end, he said, uh, I'm not going to marry you, but you should marry George Whitfield. And so he wrote a letter to both of them and said, you should, guys should get married. And so Whitfield did. He married this woman, uh, and he tried to live his evangelistic career. Uh, as though he wasn't married and that meant his wife suffered immensely. She was left behind when he went on his trips to America. She was left behind as he went travelling around on horseback around the English countryside, preaching the Gospel. He was never at home uh, and she suffered because of it. But there are present necessities. Marriage presents needs which must be met. There's this balance between the realities of life and between uh, living in the light of eternity. Maybe a much better model uh, of how to, to do all this would be Priscilla and Aquila, that great missionary couple in the New Testament who lived their married life together in the service of the Gospel. In many ways then the first point of this, this whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, is whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whether you're married or whether you're unmarried, live for Christ in the present in the light of eternity. That's the point. Live now for Christ in the light of eternity. But here's the question, here's the riddle. Uh, if it's necessary to live all of life for Christ in the light of eternity... if all of us need to do that, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, and if it's possible to live a married life for Christ in the present, in the light of eternity, then why does Paul commend singleness? Why, if we all need to live in the present, in the light of eternity, and why, if we can all do that even if we're married, why then does Paul commend singleness? The answer comes in verses 32 to 35. Paul writes, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. And then Paul goes on to say the same thing uh, for an unmarried woman. What are the troubles that a married person faces? What is the present crisis? Well, for starters, it's probably better to to, uh, translate that phrase, instead of present crisis, present necessity. Paul uses that same word another two times in Corinthians Uh, and in chapter 9, for instance, he uses it to describe the necessity that's laid upon him to preach the Gospel. What Paul is saying is that marriage places on us a present necessity. The trouble and the complexity arises because marriage makes it harder to live in the present for Christ in the light of eternity. Marriage places upon a couple these necessities, this necessity of a divided attention, of attention on on a world which is passing away. So children I think are a great example of that a great illustration of that reality. If you uh, have children, there are lots of present necessities. Uh, so, um, well, you need to earn a larger living uh, than you would if you had no children. Uh, you need to own a larger house than if you were single. Uh, you need to be up early and at home late at night. You need to spend time feeding them and cleaning up after them. Uh, well, that's what my mother had to do uh, when I was young. Uh, but that's time which, if you didn't have to do that, could be spent writing Bible studies for church or wandering the streets sharing the Gospel. Are you able to live in the light of eternity more easily without, without children? Yes. Does that make raising children a godless distraction? Not even remotely. The Bible says that children are... are wonderful gift from God, to be received with immense joy. Children are no more a godless distraction than, than enjoying a holiday as a godless distraction or eating a good pie as a godless distraction. Both are to be received with great joy and great Thanksgiving. What it does mean though is that there are present necessities on your life. If you have children, it means it's unrealistic to expect that you will be able to give as much time to, uh, the, to gospel work as someone who, doesn't have, someone who doesn't have children. It's unrealistic to expect that you will be able to read 25 theological books in one week because you actually have to spend time putting the kids to bed and getting them to their baths. And that's okay. Paul says the key is whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we have to live for Christ in the present in the light of eternity. Paul's not saying that divided attention is wrong or immoral. He's not saying that married people are less godly. There are lots of single people who are not focused on God at all. They are just focused on themselves. And there are lots of married couples and families that do a much better job than some single people at being devoted to Christ. I think of the Poole family, you know, who've taken their, their kids across to South Sudan, you know, for three years. And I think that their devotion to Christ puts my devotion to Christ to shame. Nevertheless, here's the point. Here's the point about singleness. At the end of the day, there's no escaping the fact that singleness does provide a greater opportunity to be devoted to the service of Christ than if you're married. Jesus calls it being a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That is, being metaphorically emasculated in order to enter the king's service. A eunuch was a person who gave up their life in order to be devoted to the service of the king. And Jesus said some people do that for him. John Stott, uh, the theologian and pastor, often used to talk about the three great decisions that he made to enhance his ministry. He decided not to get married, uh, he decided not to become a bishop and he decided not to take up an academic post as a professor. He made three decisions to enhance ministry his service of God in the light of eternity and not getting married was only one of them. There were two others. Is John Stott more holy than Don Carson? Because Don Carson took up an academic post and Don Carson got married? Not at all. Will John Stott be honoured by Christ in eternity for relinquishing marriage? Yes, he will. And will he also be honoured for relinquishing ecclesiastical status as a bishop and for relinquishing an academic post. Will he be honoured by Christ for that? Absolutely. Paul's chief concern is that people live for Christ in the present, in the light of eternity. And if you can do that by staying single, fantastic, you should do that. Jesus says, if you can, if you can accept it, you should do it. But even if you're not single, you should still live in the present in the light of eternity. But if uh, this chapter gives us, I guess, one great reason for staying single, it also gives us one great and overriding reason not to. How to translate verse 36 is pretty disputed but the uh, new NIV and the ESV get it right. This is what the ESV says, In verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, there's that word again, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So here's the scenario. There's an engaged couple and they're wondering whether or not they should go through with their marriage. Uh, They're committed to living for Christ in the present, in the light of eternity uh, and so they're mindful of the necessities that marriage brings which can make that hard but Paul says actually there are competing necessities. The competing necessity is not, as the 1984 NIV suggests, that the engaged woman is getting a bit long in the tooth, that she's getting a little bit uh, along in years. Rather the issue, uh, to be blunt, is that they really love each other and they want to sleep together and they're finding it really hard not to. As Paul says earlier in the chapter, it's better. Uh, to marry than to burn with passion. It turns out, according to Paul, that there are competing necessities. There are the necessities which make uh, there are the necessities of marriage which make it hard to live uh, in the present in the light of eternity, and there are the necessities of sexual drive, among other things, which make it difficult to live unmarried in the light of eternity. Uh, if you know the rest of the book of Corinthians, if you know anything about first century uh, sort of Greek-Roman history, you'll know that Corinth uh, had a big problem with sex. Uh, in this first letter to the Corinthians, you discover a man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. You discover that some of the Christians had come out of lives uh, involving homosexuality and uh, prostitution. Uh, and the, I guess the, the point is, that Paul is making is that when sex is everywhere in the culture it makes it hard to stay single. There are also I think times and seasons in life uh, that that affect uh, the decision. A, A person who marries young and who's then widowed later in life may not find themselves under the same pressure to marry at an older age. I think it's important to realise, though, that what uh, Paul is doing here in this chapter is not giving a reason for marriage. He's not giving a reason for marriage, but a reason not to stay single. You see, there are lots of reasons to marry. To marry, uh, you might marry because you'd like to marry. That's a good reason. Uh, you might marry because uh, shock horror, you love the person that you want to marry. What, a, what an outrageous thing. What an outrageous reason to get married for. But that's a good reason. Uh, you might marry because you want your uh, marriage to be an illustration of the Gospel to a fallen world. That's a fantastic reason to marry, isn't it? That's a living in the present, in the light of eternity reason to get married. You might marry because you want a companion and a helper. Well, that was God's original purpose and intent, wasn't it, in marriage? So, that must be a good reason to marry. There are lots of good reasons to get married. Paul's not trying to give us reasons to get married. He's saying there's one great reason not to stay single and that reason is because you're burning with passion. So, if you're thinking of staying single in order uh, to live uh, for Christ in the present and the light of eternity... That's a great desire, but you need to ask this question. Are you able to do that? If you are desperately preoccupied with sex, Paul says you should look to get married. Paul isn't just saying, I don't think, just go and get married as though it was that easy. Rather, he's answering a question. It's as though someone has come up to him and said, Paul, look, I'm thinking of staying single. What should I do? And Paul says, well, you need to ask yourself the question. Are you burning with passion? Because if you are, then you should probably look to get married. It might not happen, but it's probably a responsible thing to do. Paul says, don't be a hero. If you burn with passion, you're an idiot to stay single, to commit yourself to singleness. So, we've seen two things. We've seen that the key for all of us is to live for Christ in the light of eternity. If you can do that by staying single, fantastic, you should do that. But we've also seen that if you burn with passion, then you should look to marry. But before we finish, uh, I want to ask what I think is really the most difficult and the most vexing question uh, in this whole passage. Passage. That is, is singleness better than marriage? In verse 38 Paul writes, So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does even better. In answering uh, that question, I think it's important to say that if we're not careful, it's easy to walk away from this chapter with a really anemic and pathetic and reduced vision of marriage. Uh, to end up making marriage kind of the poor cousin of singleness. I think for many years, from a personal point of view, uh, that was my picture of marriage. I think it was easy for me to stay single because I had a bad view of marriage. But that's wrong, isn't it? Because actually the Bible has a a, a great, an almost transcendent view of marriage. It's, it's, It's a wonderful thing. When you look through the rest of the Bible, uh, when you look through the rest of what Paul wrote, you can't come to any other conclusion but that marriage is a wonderful and special and unique gift from God. It's the most intimate human relationship in the world. Nothing else even comes close to it in that sense. It's uh, the sole context for sex as the most powerful expression of love. It's an illustration of the gospel. It's a powerful illustration of the Gospel, of the love of Christ for the Church and of the loving submission of the Church to Christ. It's even more precious and wonderful because it's a one-time offer. If you don't get in in this life, you don't get it at all. I think that's important to say. It's important to say because it means that if you're missing out on marriage, it's a real loss. It's a real loss. It's not imagined. If you're single, if you're, uh, whether it's because uh, you've been married uh, or, and are no longer, or because uh, you've never married, if you're sitting here and you want to be married, you're not deluded. It's a real loss. You are missing out. You're missing out on lifelong love and companionship and help and support. But as good as marriage is, Paul says, to not marry and to give your life to serving Christ is, in some sense, even better. To ask, is singleness better than marriage, is to ask the wrong question. A better question to ask would be, Is it better to live for Christ in the present in the light of eternity? Is it better to do that by staying single if you're able, in order to serve Jesus? And the answer is, yes. Some way, somehow, it is. In some way, it's better to enjoy better to serve Christ now in that way, rather than enjoy the glorious and wonderful gift of marriage in this world. I think that's a hard thing to take. I think that's a hard thing to believe. Uh, And I guess my 17 years of trying to convince people of that has proved the point. But can I just say, I really believe that. I think I'm the luckiest guy in the whole world. I was driving down to Hobart a few months ago uh, to give a talk on something and I just was overwhelmed by the wonderful gift that God has given me to be able to stay single and to devote my life to Christ. I was singing songs. I was in tears as I was driving down. It's funny, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that you say uh, at a wedding ceremony, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. But I really believe that. And my great dream is that other people would believe that as well. To live in the present, in the light of the future, is always better, whether you're single or married. That's the great goal for all of us. To live now, enjoying the gifts of God, but to do it in the light of a certain eternity that will last forever. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for marriage and for the wonderful and precious gift that it is. Lord, thank you for the powerful illustration it is of the truth of the Gospel. Lord, thank you that it reminds us of the love of Christ for the church and the loving submission of the church to Christ. Lord, for those uh, who are married, Lord, we ask that you'd help them to receive that gift with great joy and gladness. Lord, for those. Uh, who are in marriages that are struggling. Lord, for those who are married and who wish they weren't, Lord, grant forgiveness and strength to persevere and in doing so to demonstrate your persevering love with us. Lord, for those who are single and who would like to be married, Lord, grant them the grace and the patience to trust you and to love you and to trust that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. Lord, we pray that there might be some too, if it's your will, who embrace a life of singleness in order to serve Christ Lord, if that's the case, we ask that you would give them strength to do that. And Lord, we ask that their life might be a witness of living for you in the light of eternity. Father, we ask uh, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, Lord, that you would press the future onto our minds. Lord, help us to find that difficult balance between enjoying the present and looking ahead to the eternity that we'll have with you in in glory. But we ask that in all the, the things that we do, in all the decisions that we make, that we would enjoy the good, but also be devoted to the better. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.